This is the Daily Detail, powered by 1819 News. Honest News. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. The voice of Alabama values. Alabama. Unbelievable people. And now, here is Andrea Tice. We are now in the middle of August, and most schools are back in session here in Alabama. There is a mental health counseling initiative that will get underway this year that parents must be made aware of. A new state law that was passed and signed in May will provide mental health counselors and services to all students in public schools, elementary through high school. The parents of students under the age of 14 will receive some form of notification on whether they want their child to opt in or opt out of getting this counseling. However, because of a prior state law that gives 14-year-olds the ability to make medical decisions without parental knowledge, there will be no notification to parents if their child, when it comes to receiving counseling, nor will there be any input on what that counseling is about. 1819 reporter Craig Monger has covered this in a report on the 1819 website. He also joined the Daily Detail to explain why some parents see this as problematic when it comes to their child being presented with a different philosophy or worldview in those counseling sessions. An entire school system sort of has to be transparent with how they uh, how they teach your kids what they talk to your children about and, and it's generally a broad system working um, working in tandem. Uh, however, if you have a one-on-one situation where a child is talking to a counselor and the content of those conversations are protected under certain privileges, then there is all sorts of avenues where where worldview and uh, philosophies and all this sort of stuff can sort of come out uh, without the parent's knowledge or input. It is a complex situation because you do have parents that stink. You have parents that, that don't put the time into the children. And you also have parents that create seriously unhealthy and unsafe and occasionally violent living situations for their children. And there needs to be something that can allow those children to get the help that they need and to possibly get some sort of relief from the situation that they're in. The problem that these parents have is the fact that because of the fact that they're not permitted to be uh, included in these situations, in these counseling sessions, if you want to call it that, because of that, they may have zero recourse to respond to whatever, if anything, their kids are saying. Because it's not completely unlike children to um, misrepresent or to just make things out of, you know, thin air. Parents who are wary of government-sponsored counseling have two course of actions in this regard. They could first talk to their teenager and open up the communication lines there between child and parent. If you have a child that's that's 14 or older who's automatically op, uh, opted into this program, have those conversations with them where where they understand what this is. They understand that they can say no. They understand that they can say, uh, I don't want to participate in this. And and if they do participate in it, then they need to be 
sort of kept abreast, the parents need to be kept abreast as to the content of these things, because not just any sort of horrific um, crimes that can take place behind closed doors, but also you just want to be sure that you're aware of the types of, uh, the types of philosophies and worldview issues that are being communicated to your child uh, apart from you. And, and just parents need to have that communication where they, they can be made aware of these things. Secondly, start communicating with the school administration to find out if there's any safety measures or certain processes put in place. Yeah, that's really the only advice you can give at this point, which is have, have those conversations with your, uh, with your child's teachers with the administrators and even with the mental health coordinator get the clarification that you need on what is going to happen have it in writing in print have it filed away so you can cross-reference it if something doesn't exactly if something isn't up to muster later and again you can find craig monger's article at 1819news.com And this is my third and final conversation with Pastor Rich Lusk on the issue of transgenderism within the church and how it's now being fully embraced by the Episcopal Church here in the U.S. I talked to Pastor Lusk about those within the Episcopal mainline congregation who may strongly oppose this latest resolution when it comes to the Episcopal Church viewing transgenderism as a religious liberty. Even those people who aren't afflicted by some kind of gender dysphoria, I think, are are affected by this because it changes our whole way of thinking about men and women and even children. And it does so in very damaging ways. So um, I, I would say the Episcopal church, if, if this, if they're not people in the Episcopal church who are fighting back against this, uh, who want to overturn this recent decision, uh, then I don't see how the Episcopal church has much of a future. Certainly um, not as uh, you know, something that could be considered a, a, a faithful church in any kind of way or a faithful expression of the Christian faith. It seems to me they've completely departed from that. And yes, that brings darkness. That's going to bring uh, all kinds of, of destruction into people's lives. Yeah, there's only two options here. Well, there's three, I guess. The, the laity goes along with it, and then they're going to get hurt in the process. It's just a matter of time. Right. Uh, two, they push back and they really force this to uh, be, be reversed, or three, they leave. That's right. Those are, those are the options. And it, you know, I think in the Episcopal Church, you probably have to some degree the same thing you have in a lot of other American institutions, uh, a lot of other Christian denominations, um, even what you, you could say in many cases you have in, in civil government today, and that is the elites who are the leaders who are at the top are far more liberal and progressive than, than the people that they are leading or ruling over. And so it may be that you would have some lady who would push back. I think it's probably more likely that people who don't like this decision just end up leaving and going elsewhere. And so then the whole institution stays in the hands of, of very progressive people. Um, and, and obviously, again, this was not the first compromise the Episcopal Church had made. This is just the next step in an ongoing slide into idolatry. Uh, but it's a significant step, and it's one that, um, you know, obviously is, is going to be very, very damaging. How, however it plays out, it's very, very damaging. Pastor Lusk is the senior pastor at Trinity Presbyterian in Birmingham. A suspect is in custody in Alabama after a series of shootings along Interstate 85 in both Georgia and Alabama. 
Multiple law enforcement agencies had to get involved in order to catch up with the suspect. The shootings were first reported near Auburn. Police found a Prattville man in his car with a life-threatening gunshot wound after the suspect fired into the vehicle from behind while driving along that road. That man had to be life-flighted to a Montgomery hospital and is in critical condition. Police are also looking into another shooting in the Auburn area along I-85. And the third happened in Troop County, Georgia, also on I-85. That victim was not injured. An Alabama-based cabinet company turned down a really nice offer to move their business out of state. Wellborn Cabinets revealed a week ago that they instead plan to expand here in Sweet Home, Alabama, and they're going to bring more jobs to the town of Oxford. The family-owned business will build a new plant in Calhoun County that will bring 400 jobs to that area. Wellborn Cabinets currently employs over 1,000 at their Ashland plant. John Wellborn spoke with 1819 News about the unfair dumping of cheap China-made cabinets into the U.S. market. He says a tariff imposed by President Trump on those cabinets is what saved hundreds of thousands of jobs in the cabinet industry here in the U.S., Wellburn also said that Georgia gave the company a very competitive offer to relocate, but Alabama is their home, so here they stay. For more in-depth stories affecting the state of Alabama, go to 1819news.com. In national news, 8 out of 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump at least once, maybe two times, are now feeling the effects of that vote. 8 of those Republicans have now lost to their primary challenger. Most of those challengers were Trump-endorsed. The latest impeachment ouster is of Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who was beat out by another Trump-endorsed female candidate by 37 points. In her concession speech, Cheney compared herself to Abraham Lincoln. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed. He saved our union. And he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Here's the victory speech of Trump-endorsed Republican Harriet Hagman after she defeated Cheney. Today, Wyoming has spoken. (laughs) Wyoming has spoken on behalf of everyone who understands that our government is a government of, by, and for the people. and do control the levers of power when we engage, when we participate, and when we hold our elected officials accountable for their actions. Wyoming has spoken on behalf of everyone who is concerned that the game is becoming more and more rigged against them. And what Wyoming has shown today is that while it may not be easy, we can dislodge entrenched politicians who believe they've risen above the people they are supposed to represent and serve. The others who voted for impeachment but lost to a Trump-endorsed candidate are Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington State, Tony Rice of South Carolina, and Peter Mayer of Michigan. Adam Kissinger, Anthony Gonzalez, John Katko, and Fred Upton are not seeking re-election. Not only were cameras rolling when the FBI agents raided Donald Trump's resort in Florida, but the footage will be released to the public in the future. Donald Trump's son, Eric, spoke on Fox News, first confirming once again that the FBI uncharacteristically asked that no cameras be turned on while they seized materials and documents from Trump's living quarters. Eric Trump said that request was denied. They asked for the cameras to be turned off. I mean, your body cam point was spot on. 
That's why cops wear body cams. They don't tell you to turn off cameras. They want transparency, and that's not what happened here. More documents from Pfizer on the COVID-19 vaccine are showing troubling numbers when it comes to pregnancies that were lost by women who took part in the initial trial. The court-ordered documents were released this past July and have since been studied for the data on adverse events for those who got the vaccine during clinical trials. Some of those were given placebos. The documents show a 44% spontaneous abortion rate for those women who got the shot. That is 22 out of 50 pregnant women lost their baby at various stages of pregnancy during this trial. Only eight women were given a placebo at the start, but eventually they even got the vaccine by the end. Pfizer claims the vaccine and the miscarriages are not connected. The Daily Clout and Just the News are seeking more information from both the Food and Drug Administration as well as Pfizer on what kind of follow-up was done regarding these pregnant women after the trials and on what medical basis or proof were the vaccines not linked to a 44% spontaneous miscarriage rate. A Florida state prosecutor is now suing the governor for being suspended from his job. Governor Ron DeSantis announced his actions for Hillsborough County State Attorney Andrew Warren just a few weeks ago. DeSantis says it was because Warren is not enforcing the laws of the state, especially abortion laws, but rather picking and choosing which one fits his liberal worldview. Warren has been financially backed in his political campaigns for state attorney by former Nazi informant George Soros. Warren spoke about his lawsuit on CBS. I mean, he is stepping on the rights of the voters of Hillsborough County. This is blatantly unconstitutional in violation of Florida statute. He doesn't have the authority to suspend me just because he wants to, especially when he's focused on things that I haven't even done yet. The bottom line is that the people elected me to serve in this position, and I'm going to continue doing it to keep our neighborhood safe. Governor DeSantis responded in a statement after this latest Warren interview, saying the lawsuit is not surprising and that he looks forward to responding in court. Well, this week, The Daily Detail reached a milestone of its 200th episode since first launching in October of 2021. I want to thank all of my loyal listeners and supporters for making this possible and offering their input and encouragement all along the way, which has made me ready to go on for another 200. You're listening to The Daily Detail from 1819 News. Be sure and check out Phil Williams at Right Side Radio as he talks about Christian nationalism. And, and so I look at this article, what is Christian nationalism from Christianity Today? Well, first of all, it appears when you read the article that if your country comes first, I mean, for, I mean God comes first, but as a Christian, but if the next thing, if, if in the eyes of world events, if you lean towards America first, oh, oh, I, I mean, how can, you, how can you choose to separate people by national identities uh, because I'm an American? Because being a good steward of where I am and what I have is what I'm supposed to do. And he goes on to say, well, you know, patriotism is okay, but it's different than nationalism. It's an argument about how to define our country. Christians should recognize that patriotism is good because all of God's creation is good, and patriotism helps us appreciate where we are. Okay, but, and here comes the but, but most scholars, and I love it when they argue that, most scholars agree that nationalism starts with the belief that humanity is divisible into mutually distinct and internally coherent cultural groups. That's, if we have borders, we just have borders. I, ha- I, have, my, I have my favorite team. If I, if, I, if I say, I'm just for whoever wins. <laughs> I hate that answer. I hate that answer. I hate it. <laughs> Everybody gets participation trophy. No, oh. I'm not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> but, so... 
this this article, by the way, this article is just freaking squishy crap. Is yeah. what it boils down to. What it boils down to is this article does not like the idea that Christians should ever also, by the way, love their country before they love other countries. It doesn't mean they don't love people. It doesn't mean they're not following the Great Commission. We can still go you therefore and make disciples of all men. But at the same time, we could say, and I'm an American. And if, 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 if called upon, I will defend my nation. God redeemed me, but he also had me born here for some reason. Um, there's nothing wrong with loving my country more than I love other countries in the world that God has chosen to plant me in. You can find more of that podcast at rightsideradio.org. I'm Andrea Tice. I'll be back again tomorrow. I look forward to updating you then. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. Alabama. Of Alabama. This has been The Daily Detail. For more up-to-date news, go to 1819news.com, where you'll find honest news and Alabama values. 